The following podcast is intended for general information and entertainment purposes only. It should not be substituted for professional medical or psychological advice. Before beginning or changing a treatment plan, please consult your local healthcare professional. Welcome back to Biopsychosocially Distant. I am Jordan, your friendly neighborhood nurse. And I'm Kayla, mother of cats. I am also mother of cats and the first of my name. I think uh, I am too. Yeah. Well, I think our, our middle names are family names, but our first names are the first ones. Yes, correct. Yes. So here we are today for another episode. Hopefully we don't have to be biopsychosocially distant uh, for very much longer. Our state is um, ramping up the vaccine process. And I think we're basically just waiting for um, Kayla and I were both able to be vaccinated um, because we are healthcare workers. Um, We are waiting for my husband to be able to be vaccinated before we start having people into our home because that is the recommendation at this moment from the CDC that um, vaccinated people and people from two different households where parties are vaccinated can spend time together without masks, which is quite exciting. It is very exciting. And I think our, I think Connecticut's one of the like top states right now, um, providing vaccines like we have some of the most people in the country that are vaccinated at this point i think yeah the national average is in like the higher teens i can't remember what the number is offhand and it's probably different since last time i've looked at it in connecticut's in like the 20 percent range um like in the early 20 range of uh percentage of folks vaccinated which is which is wonderful um part of that is we have a lot of healthcare uh systems and a lot of large healthcare systems in the state so a lot of people are healthcare workers. Yeah. Um, so we had a lot of people get vaccinated right off, right off the bat. And then educators were able to be vaccinated. And now we're going through by age, starting with the oldest and going to the youngest, which is controversial. Uh, frankly, I don't think I, you're not going to make every, you're not going to make everybody happy with how you decide to vaccinate people. But if you just systematically get it done quickly, yeah, just get it done. I, and I think I read somewhere that we have to have somewhere around 70% of people vaccinated in order to potentially return immunity. So we're we're getting there. We're getting there. We are getting there. Um, So today we're uh, going to be discussing another HBO documentary. You can tell um, I got a subscription for Christmas. So we've been doing that because we've been able to enjoy a lot more uh, dialogue back and forth. Kayla and I even said, hey, let's hit record. We're starting to say smart things because we were going over. (laughs) We were going over the documentary a little bit before we hit record and just chit-chatting um the documentary if you want to watch along with us is i love you now die uh which is an hbo documentary that came out in 2019 it is a two-part documentary each part is about an hour uh the first one's an hour and the second one's like an hour and 15 minutes and it follows the story of in the trial the story of the suicide of Conrad Roy III, and then the ensuing law, uh, criminal case of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts versus Michelle Carter. So this happened in 
July of 2014, it was highly covered, especially um, in our area of the country, We, mm. as it happened in New England. And that's where Kayla and I live. So we remember this case um, quite well, um, mostly because, and partly because it was in recent history. It was only seven years ago when we were adults. Um, I feel like your perception of cases kind of change as you get older, like, you know, when you get yeah. older and you watch the news. And I was watching, my husband has now just gotten used to walking in the living room and seeing me watch a documentary on something strange and he looked at the screen he's like oh this is the girl with the eyebrows isn't it <laughs> he goes that was the that was the crime did she get arrested for those eyebrows uh, yeah that's what yeah that was my take on it those eyebrows when it was are, happening those eyebrows were terrible they and were you know terrible what? i was when i was watching a, a video of her recently i um well not of her it was you know including her but yeah. um, she has like such a nat a nice natural eyebrow. You know what yeah. I mean? Like she would just overdid it. She was just heavy handed. <laughs> that was, and I feel like that was kind of the 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 aesthetic. God, yes, it was at the time. Was those really thick, overdone eyebrows? And I think it's kind of scaled back a little bit. I mean, we're definitely doing better than we were with the 90s sperm eyebrows. Those, those, those <laughs> yes. were bad. Those were some terrible. People, some people still have them, unfortunately. Well, because once you once you overpluck, it's it's uh it's, it's uh, true. Really, it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing to come yep. back from. Uh, microblading, folks. Microblading. I was just about to get out of my head. I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> However, we found out that I cannot microblade. Sad story because I have keloids. I'm prone to keloids. Fun fact. What do you know about your the world's okayest podcaster, keloids. I also found out um, that you can get, if you're not sure whether or not you're sensitive to keloids as they relate to tattoos, you can get patch tested. Tested. Yes. So you can get patch tested to see how colors look on your skin, to see if you have an allergic reaction, or to see if you have keloids. That's really interesting. And I, it's so, it's funny. I have no problems with tattoos. I had no problem. I have tattoos. I have no problem uh, healing from tattoos, but piercings, um, I keloid and I have had some surgical incisions that keloided. Mm, interesting. So, eh, weird, strange stuff. So, you know, I'll just keep coloring in my eyebrows. So <laughs> anyway, we digress. So we open up with part one. And I've noticed through my notes that my kind of feelings and opinions evolve as the documentary evolves because the first focuses on Conrad and the second part focuses more on Michelle. So you kind of get a different perspective. So our opinions will be evolving and getting better throughout this, which happens and that is totally fine. Yeah, I mean, I think that that was the editorial choice was to kind of Keep throw you, you for a loop a little bit. I think, yeah. And I don't think that's a bad thing because you can't oversimplify something. And that's kind of was a takeaway from this, at least in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, so Michelle Co Carter and Conrad Roy uh, started a relationship back in 2012 um, when they were about 15. Um, their relationship was mostly online and it lasted for about two years. Right. So imagine, like, put yourself in the mindset of being a 15-year-old in a, a new to. relationship with somebody. You know, it was very exciting. It was very, I don't know, at least probably love. very superficial, yeah. especially if you're having it mostly online. I mean, I remember a relationship that I had throughout high school on and off. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. It, it was, even though we went to the same school, I feel like a lot of 
a lot of the more like intimate, deep conversations we had happened online. And that was yeah. just like the, the time. And I mean, I guess this happened later than AIM. They were doing it over text message, but still, you know, the right. idea is the same. same. It's the same concept. And I feel that I, I kind of felt that way too when I was in when I was in high school. Kayla and I are about the same age and went to the same school. But yeah, everything was very online heavy, especially in that early high school days because you don't drive. Right. Um, so your mode of transportation is limited. So your means of communication need to be more remote. So fast forward two years, uh, they only met in person like a handful of times, five times. Mm -hmm. Um, And they did live in the same area of the country. It's not like they were, you know, hours and hours and hours apart. It just happened so that they lived, that they just, you know, they only met about five times in real life. Um, Conrad had depression and wanted to end his life, um, which he did disclose to Michelle and what we find out is that Michelle helped him plan it. She, Mm -hmm. you know, encouraged him to do this and she, you know, discussed it with him often. Um, Give me one second. I think Luna is up to something naughty. Oh, she's just, she's just licking the food cans that are in the sink. It's fine. (laughs) You'll, you'll have that. So Michelle kind of, you know, helped him plan out his suicide. So we find that he, in July of 2014, he sat in his car in an enclosed area with a generator running, which released Mm. carbon monoxide, which is unfortunately one less oxygen molecule than you need. Uh, So Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, so CO and CO2 is carbon dioxide. Um, So you you suffocate. Yes, you do. Um, He at one point got out of his car and went on the phone, you know, called Michelle and said, you know, it's working. And he was really scared. And she told him to get back in the car. Uh-huh. And that was the, the, the piece that the media really sensationalized the get back in the car piece. Yep. Get back. Yeah, I think it car. was because it was the most shocking to most of us. Like, correct. Especially as a therapist, I, I can't imagine correct. telling somebody, yes, go through with this. Yeah, you should and not even yeah, and not even go through with this. They had sec you know, he had second thoughts and she said get back in the car. Right, to pressuring somebody into doing this thing. Right. This was a hard one for me and I I'm sure you as a healthcare worker because we work with people that have mental illness and suicidal ideation um or meaning thoughts of suicide and we have to try to help them through it so they do not go through with their suicide attempt, you know, making a safety plan and calling emergency personnel if needed. So Mm -hmm. it's a very, um, it's a very, very stressful anxiety provoking, Mm -hmm. scary thing. And it's a really hard part. And, you know, and of course, you know, we've sometimes the person, you know, whether it's happened to us personally or not, um, uh, a person does go through with their suicide attempt and does successfully end their life. Not that it's a success story. It's a tragedy. And I know healthcare workers put a lot of stress and a lot of pressure and a lot of blame on themselves. Yeah. So the fact that somebody encouraged another person to end their lives when they work so hard to stop that from happening is unfathomable and really hard to come to terms with and really hard to think about. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And this is not what the case was about. This was not 
she tried and failed to stop him from ending his life. That is not why, you know, the, the, uh, the criminal trial ensued. So I want right. to make that very, very clear. Right. Which I think is healthcare workers are often worried that even if they make it, you know, they try to help, they try to help and it, it doesn't work that, something like this would happen, you know, they'd get involved with a lawsuit, which I guess could happen, which but could happen, but it's typically no, it doesn't really. I mean, especially if you have documentation that you provided assistance to the best of your ability. I mean, at the end of the day, you have no control over what someone does. No, a human has autonomy, you know, unfortunately, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, you can't control another person to that degree. Right. So Conrad was reported missing. Um, before he was found in his car um, dead, he left a suicide note and he actually left. This is a very, very uh, modern thing to do. He left his phone passwords and left his passwords so people could get into his devices. And all of his conversations with Michelle were indeed available. I keep forgetting I want to give you my password to get into all of my passwords account. So in case anything happens to me, God forbid. <laughs> Yeah, do it. You and probably you and my sister have access to all of that stuff. Yeah. It's a smart thing to do, folks. It is a smart thing to do. Two people you would trust with all of your private information. A few people. Yes, more than one. Yeah, two people that you would trust. And, you know, if after you die, you want them to update your social media statuses from the grave to freak people out, you know, that's your call. So be it. So... So yes, always. And that's something that a lot of people don't think about. And, you know, it's something that comes up. You're like, oh, great. You know, we don't know the password for this or how to get into this or where things are located. It's really important to make your wishes known uh, for what you want done with your body after you die. No one likes talking about it, but make those wishes known and also make your life, make the lives of your loved ones easier. That's like a wonderful gift that you can give somebody that costs nothing is here, it's all laid out for you because especially when someone dies unexpectedly, it's horrible and awful mm. and scary and sad. And it's going to be stressful in its own right. Um, I think actually, yeah. I you know, what you're talking about right now makes me think like, we're thinking about people who are thinking about their death and planning ahead for it. Mm-hmm. Because for, you know, one reason or another, either you're terminally ill or you're just, you know, trying to think we're all going to die someday. And so you're in that that frame of mind, you know, where you want to have let your relatives have plans. Yeah. But I think one really key thing to remember here is when someone has when it comes to suicide, mm-hmm. when someone has made up their mind that they are going to end their lives, these are the kind of plans that they start making. Correct. These are the sort of communications that they start having with people. You know, there's a difference between crying out for help and saying, I want to commit suicide or I want to attempt suicide. If I mm-hmm. called up Jordan tomorrow and said that, it would probably be because I want her to help me somehow or Correct. you know, call 911 or bring me to the hospital or something like that. And I would. Versus, oh, of course you would. Yeah. And versus, you know, if I texted you and said, hey, you know, you've always been a really good friend to me. I want to thank you for everything you've done. Here's my password for everything, just in case you need it. would be a very different conversation um, and it would be a a very big red flag. Um, But to untrained people, you might not realize that or the difference 
or they're giving away, Hey, this is my, Correct. Yes. you know, this is my, this is my engagement ring or, you know, this has been in my family for years. I want you to have it. Or they're gleefully making yes. plans, that's, which is, which that's is, a, that's a big thing. Yeah. And, and like I said, to the, to the lay person, you would think, Oh, wow, this person's doing a lot better. No, they're not, not quite. No, not quite. It, it's true because they've, they're outwardly seeming a lot better. Like it's like a, a switch has changed because they've decided that they've made the plan and say, okay, I'm not going to feel like this anymore. I, right. yeah, I found a solution. Plan. Yes. Correct. They, and you know, and in their minds, they, they absolutely have because depression is absolutely terrible. A liar. Yeah. A liar. And it's awful too. You don't know how you're going to, move forward. You don't know how you're, you know, going to take your next breath and how you're going to feel like this for one more day. I always like, this is a bit of a tangent, but I, uh, clinically they, they classify something as depression when it's, you know, months and months long. And I always thought that that was so bizarre because as soon as you're in a depressive episode, if you're in that headspace, I, I couldn't imagine feeling like that for six months. Well, the, the DSM is, it's two weeks. Yeah. Oh, it's really? A, That's a- yeah, it's consistent, like consistent depressed mood, mm-hmm. consistent like symptoms over two weeks. So it's not, that helps to differentiate it from, you know, you're just having a bad day or you're having a bad couple right. of days. Lord knows that happens to a lot of us. Oh, Maybe you're having a bad week versus you're actually in a depressive episode. Correct. Yes. And there are... Um- PHQ2 uh, questionnaire that'll score mm-hmm. your depression and score your mood. Right. Yeah. There's lots of mood tracking apps where you can kind of keep track of how you're feeling, what happened that day. That's good. All that That's kind of good. stuff. That's a really good resource. Yeah. Because once you're in that frame of mind, you can't even see, you know, yes, part of it is, and we'll actually get into this. Um, a lot of symptoms of depression are not classic, but we'll, you know, as, as it comes up, we'll, we'll discuss it more. Um, so, so Michelle was questioned by the police. Our uh, phone was taken by the police uh, with a warrant. Her text messages um, were pretty damning and showed that she played a big part in him planning his suicide. And through this, they show videos of Conrad um, posting videos talking about his anxiety and his depression. And it was unfortunately really sad and very, you know, very relatable. Somebody I, you know, struggled with anxiety and depression too. Mm. Um, He was definitely, was definitely struggling. And we see that a lot in that age group, those like late teenage years uh, when, you know, you probably have, you know, you probably have your first, you know, big depressive episode. And we even see that with other mental illnesses too. Um, you can mm-hmm. have a psychotic break around that point in your life to late teens, early twenties. Why what's happening at that? What's happening at that period of your life, Jordan? Frontal lobe, frontal lobe. Yeah. Your, yeah, your brain, brain, your frontal lobe is finishing developing. Your brain is not finishing developing. Yeah. But it's also a transition period for people. You know, sure. you're leaving high school. You're maybe you're going to college. Maybe you're starting a career. And Hormones those big, are shifting. Hey. Right. And those, those big life changes can always trigger a, sure. a mental health crisis. Yep. Yep. Those, uh, yeah, those higher order emotions are developing as well. So it's, um, it's a really tough, you know, it's a really, really tough time. And that's, and we unfortunately see a lot of suicide in that population too. And it's really mm-hmm. hard because there's so, because there's so many resources and it's so sad to see like, you know, but 
it's that's the that's the issue with mental illness and depression. You can't see beyond what's right in front of right. you, which is really really dark stuff. So he's yeah, so he's definitely struggling and having a hard time. We talked to Conrad's family. His his grandfather was really really cute. Um, and they, you know, hearing from the family always you know is really really sad in these cases. Um, because there's a lot of blame and a lot of guilt, and a, a lot of self blame and a lot of guilt, saying you know I should have known. But this is where they kind of mention, um, his dad said uh, Conrad was having racing thoughts, poor memory, trouble focusing, which is all part of depression. Even like speaking slower, can't focus on anything, you have no attention span, yes. falling asleep places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I can read yeah. you the, I actually have the DSM in front of me. I can read you the criteria. If read it to like. me. Okay, so the diagnostic criteria for major depressive disorder. Mm-hmm. Five or more of the following symptoms have been present during the same two-week period and represent a change from previous functioning. At least one of the symptoms is either depressed mood or loss of interest or pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, so the symptoms are depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day, as indicated by either subjective report, like I feel sad, empty, hopeless, or observation made by others, like appears tearful. In mm-hmm. children and adolescents, it could be irritable mood. Two is markedly diminished interest or pleasure in all or almost all activities of the day, nearly every day. Significant weight loss when not dieting or weight gain or decrease or increase in appetite nearly every day. Insomnia or hypersomnia, which is sleeping too much, nearly every day. Mm -hmm. Psychomotor agitation, which is like moving around a lot, fidgeting a lot, or retarded um, activity nearly every day. So you've either sped up or you slowed down. Mm-hmm. Um, observable by others, not merely subjective feelings of restlessness or being slowed down. Fatigue or loss of energy nearly every day. Feelings of worthlessness or excessive in or, or inappropriate guilt, which may be delusional nearly every day. Um, not merely self-reproach or guilt about being sick. Diminished ability to think or concentrate or indecisiveness nearly every day. Recurrent thoughts of death. Uh, not just fear of dying, recurrent suicidal ideation without a specific plan or a suicide attempt or a specific plan for committing suicide. Um, if any of those feel familiar to you, remember, please, that this is not uh, advice, this Correct. podcast. So if any of that feels familiar to you, please, please, please reach out to a professional local to you yes. um, and get the help that you need and that you deserve so that you can feel better. Absolutely. But those are that is the diagnostic criteria for depression. Yeah, there are suicide hotlines that are available 24 hours a day, and it's really, really tough. But if you're having those thoughts, please, please reach out and surround yourself. This is, you know, the takeaway from this and surround yourself um, with people that might tell you what you don't want to hear, which is that they do not want you to die. Yeah, we'll list some resources in our show notes. Yes, we will. And unfortunately, Conrad uh, surrounded himself with Michelle. Michelle was his confidant and was suggesting ways that he could kill himself via text message. She was saying, you could try this or you can try that. I'm not, and I don't really want to list it because I really don't want to give a how-to guide in the show. And then the, so the argument was made that Michelle was acting immorally, but not breaking the law. Right. So this is this is really pr- unprecedented. I mean, it they is. they this is new. I mean, it's not new, right? Because we've we've heard all of us stories about children being bullied online and, yep. and uh, kill yourself you know, and exactly and do. 
Yeah. Or attempting to, right? Mm-hmm. And or really affecting them um emotionally. Um so it's not new, but it is it's the first I think one of the first times it was brought to trial. And it was I think because there was um because we get a blueprint because with the internet, we have a blueprint now. And with all of these recorded, you know, all of these devices, we have, we have proof that we didn't have before, because, you know, if you just tell somebody, you know, to, you encourage somebody to end their their life verbally, it's hearsay Mm -hmm. unless they admit it, um, you know, which we'll, we'll get to. Um, And then we get, then we learn more about Michelle who was, you know, portrayed as a nice and helpful person before this it was like what everybody says i never thought she would do something like that right Um, right right she was very supportive to conrad's family after he died asked to have some of conrad's ashes which is weird yeah don't ever ask somebody's family that (laughs) never never i mean if it's not your direct next of kin you know your partner your spouse your cousin i don't know uh maybe don't ask that yeah if they want you to have some of their ashes, they'll offer them to you. Uh, Michelle said that she tried to save them. Uh, she was at, um, showing some attention-seeking behavior after Conrad died. She was reaching out to um, friends and family. You know her. You know when, uh, her peers saying, "You know, I wish I had done more to help." I and she even in what really was the. A piece of damning evidence in the case is that she texted one of her friends and said she told him to get back into the car. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because it was a phone conversation. There was no proof of it. And she admitted to it. She admitted to it. Which is like, what? imagine being on the receiving end of that conversation, like being the friend. I would and, be like, what the fuck? It was a young person. Yeah, it was a young, uh, she was a young person too. A 17, I, what do you do? You go to your parents or, you know, you go to a, you you need an adult in that situation. You go oh God, to, uh, yes. Yeah. Always go to an adult when it's something, if you're a kid and something serious like that happens, always go to an adult and le- and it is their job to take care of that. Even if you're, even if you're an adult, go to sit, do not <laughs> harbor things on your own. Yeah. That's, no. um, and we're going to find that that's, you know, that's a huge problem when you're isolated like that. It's, um, it's a nightmare. So this kind of, uh, part of the documentary ended with just the media shit. And here's the thing. Everybody's got a freaking opinion and I, it's in some people you wish you just didn't have to hear it. Um, what, did Sal- what did Salt and Pepper Pepper say? Opinions are like assholes and everybody's got them. <laughs> yep. Um, by the way, the Boston accent, the Massachusetts accents in this are a real killer too. Um, God, yes. Somebody, some delightful woman called Michelle a 90210 piece of crap. I mean, women are vilified, but in this one, she did do something wrong. So it was appropriate. Unfortunately, Nancy Grace and Dr. Oz crawled out of hell and gave their opinion. Um, <laughs> yes. oh, Dr. Oz has no fucking authority. <laughs> I hate Dr. On anything. Oz. Dr. On anything, Oz really. has made my career more difficult than it has to be because you know how many times I'm doing, I, somebody goes, well, I was listening to Dr. Oz. I'm like, stop right there. Oh God. He's a fucking shill, man. He doesn't, he's man. He's like Dr. Phil is for psychology. <laughs> Philip. Would you call him? I think you called him Philip or something. You didn't call yeah. him. You said Philip, not Philip McGraw. <laughs> Philip McGraw. I think, yeah, you very aggressively called it via text. Uh, there, 
Yeah, alchemist, truly. Um, so snake oil salesman, snake oil salesman. There is no wonder anything. Uh, no. Anyway, um, oh, drives me up. A, oh, you know, in the part. So we learned that Michelle had eating disorders too, uh, self harm. I mean, mental health issues, eating disorder, self harm, very manipulative. She was on uh, Celexa, I think, right? She was. She was. Um, she was on Prozac, and then she was on Celexa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which they, um, I think they bring up the antidepressants so often in this case because there's always risk giving certain antidepressants to anyone under the age of 18 because the brain isn't fully developed yet. So there could be increased risk of suicidal ideation when children take antidepressants um, again, because the brain is not completely developed. Correct. And that's a big, it's a rare, yeah, it's a rare side effect, but it's one that needs to really be harped on and educated. If you have suicidal ideations, call your doc. Yeah. Call your healthcare provider always that is always the right answer is to call your healthcare provider we would much rather like the doc and, and, and we can only speak for ourselves but you know i know in the you know in our in our community we'd always rather say yeah that's fine that's normal than you didn't call and something terrible happened um they do go into that we're on to part two and they do go into um into the psychotropic medications that they mm-hmm. were that they were taking. Michelle was on Celexa. She was previous. She had been on it longstanding. She was previously on Prozac, um, which mm-hmm. they said might not have been the best for her because she had history of eating disorder. Mm. That's yes. tricky. It is tricky. That is. Um, that's a uh, yeah. Psych. Yeah. Psych meds and eating disorders can uh, can complicate stuff. Right. Because a uh, a uh, common side effect of psych medication is either it makes you eat more or it makes you eat less Correct. it is it is you know debated as to why that is but yes that's a common side effect right um we learn a little bit more about conrad's family they kind of seemed like you know the starks or the kennedys which are one and the same if you ask me <laughs> um uh, and also conrad's father looks just like john f kennedy I don't remember what he looks like, does he? Look it up. He looks just like John F. Kennedy. Look it up. I made Brian look too. So Conrad, you know, it showed that him and Conrad got into a fist fight, uh, which I do not agree with. I Oh, he does. Yeah, he does look like John F. Kennedy. Uh, they, Holy crap. I know, right? Anyway. If you get nothing else from this, call your doctor and Conrad's father looked like John F. Kennedy. <laughs> um, looks like John F. Kennedy. And then they go right into, so the defense uh, called Doc as witness, which is common, and they talked about depression, antidepressants causing suicidal ideation in young adults. And actually, Conrad had just started on Celexa as well um, Mm -hmm. in June 2014, which was a month before he died. Something else we know about antidepressants is they take a while to work. Yeah, approximately four to six weeks. Correct. But in the first period before they really start to kick in, you could experience only side effects. Correct. Correct. So if you are, you know, going through a depressive episode, it's not a, it's not, it's not a simple problem. So it is indeed not a simple solution. So you need to be going to therapy. And if you are unsafe, you might need to be admitted somewhere too. Mm -hmm. Speaking of being admitted, uh, in back in 2012, right at the start of their relationship, Connor was admitted to a psychiatric facility uh, for Mm. a suicide attempt. Um, He had made four attempts on his life. 
one which is unfortunately a common one, especially for young people because of accessibility was Tylenol, mm-hmm. which is really dangerous. One thing I actually remember from nursing school is the side effect, the um, antidote is activated charcoal. Yes, they make you yep. puke it up with charcoal. Yep. And mucamus too. And Tylenol, you know, it seems pretty innocuous, um, but it can really, it could, it could send you into liver failure. You could need a liver transplant. So he's, yeah, so Connor couldn't find this because, you know, the intimate relationship in his life was encouraging his suicide attempt. And then it shows like, you know, we have access to their conversations and it shows the uh, text messages back and forth. And ugh, this drives me nuts. Connor said, he said he, you know, when he was in the hospital, he saw the devil and Michelle was like, me too. <laughs> the devil brought us together. And then the doctor like says they're both out of their minds. I'm like, right? <laughs> You're like, yes, I, you don't need a degree for that to tell you that. Yeah. Uh, and then they start, you know doing the Romeo and Juliet thing, which is so problematic. Yeah. Romeo and Juliet were like 14 guys. They They were were, 14. Shakespeare was trying to tell us they were fucking dumb. Like, (laughs) yeah, it's not, I want to be like them. No, there was a body count. Like of Romeo, Juliet, uh, Mercutio, Tybalt. Yes. I'm like going back and forth between West Side Story and yeah, like four (laughs) people died at the end of this. And this was a, 72 hour thing you can't play at a brunch in 72 hours you think you're going to decide who you love and who you want to spend the rest of your yeah, life with and exactly. who's worth dying or not no bad idea bad idea yeah. it is a tragedy the it is show a tragedy. is a tragedy yes for a reason it is, yes it is the reason yeah can we imagine if we made life-altering decisions when we were 14 no no the best decision i made when i was 14 was becoming friends with kayla other than that it was a disaster <laughs> It was a catastrophe. Anyway, so, all right, Romeo and Juliet. And then they slip right into emotional abuse. Yep. So Conrad sort of loses his, uh, I, I, you feel less bad. Well, I feel bad that he uh, struggled from depression and ended his life. But right, but they're, was, they're showing us a side that the media did not necessarily no. focus on and is important to the case. No. So Conrad sent Michelle a text message that said, I'll hate you if you tell anyone I'm suicidal. I'm going to say this loudly. This is emotional abuse. Uh-huh. That so, is an abusive yeah. situation. Um, if your partner is telling you I'm going to kill myself, your job, well, not I don't want to say your job, but you should take it seriously and contact assistance, usually professional assistance for them. If they are using that to be manipulative, too fucking bad. Yeah. Then the, then the cops go over there and find out that they were lying about it and they get in trouble, which is what they deserve. <laughs> I'm sorry. Correct. But- <laughs> or if somebody is trying to isolate you and making you shoulder something and saying that you can't ask for assistance I'm not saying that, you know, if someone tells you something in confidence, you should tell, you know, right, 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 right. I'm not saying that you should have support for yourself, your therapist, your some, you know, and if you go to your therapist and say, my partner is threatening to end his life, you're calling 911 together right then and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
they'll probably dial the phone for you if you have a wonderful <laughs> therapist like Kayla. Um, so, so this is a, yeah. So this was an abusive relationship that they were in. And you think of how long the relationship went on, you know, grants, people are in abusive relationships for decades, but you know, it's sure. and especially with how young she was. And it's kind of known that Michelle didn't have a great friend group. Michelle didn't have like a loyal group of girlfriends. I guess she was, you know, always, she was one of those people that was always trying to develop and, you know, foster a relationship, but she came on too strong and truly Mm. drove people away. Oh, you know what? I just, so I was telling Jordan before we started recording that I watched this like when it came out and I didn't have a chance to rewatch it before we recorded. Mm So um, I had just refreshed my memory with a YouTube video, but I'm remembering now that they interviewed those girls that she attempted to be friends with and they were like kind of weirded out by her attempts at friendship. And I also told Jordan before we started recording that some that one of the YouTube videos I came across but did not watch was suggesting that Michelle had a personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, which is characterized by someone who tries to form very close, intimate relationships with people that they've just met, essentially. But the reason why it's problematic to diagnose someone, especially with a personality disorder that you've never met before, <laughs> is because there are so many nuances to that. I mean, it could have Correct. just been that, that Michelle was feeling very lonely and isolated and she was trying desperately and she probably appeared desperate to make friends in any way that she could. That's not a personality disorder. Uh, also, um, just an aside, like we were speaking about before, that since we all have personalities mm-hmm. and we are all flawed people... Mm-hmm. We we at different times in our life may exhibit characteristics of personality disorders. That does not mean we have to pathologize everything that somebody does. And not for nothing, she was 15. She was a teenager. Yep. And well, and that's another yep. thing is that her personality is still developing. Right. You don't diagnose someone with a personality disorder before the age of 18 either. Correct. And not for nothing. Uh, no offense to the teenagers listening. Um, teenagers can be annoying. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, teenagers, teenagers don't. People. Teenagers don't know who the hell they are. That's their no, job. Is to that's try to figure it out. <laughs> They're supposed to be. That's like half the fun of being a teenager yes. is doing stupid crap. You know, you look at you look back and you cringe. But like, what else in your life are you gonna you know jump off a roof of a house into a swimming pool? You know, you. you I, <laughs> I mean, I could, I mean, I could barely, you know, get up on a ladder to change a clock. But, you know, when you're 16, 17, 18, you do stupid crap like that. It's just kind of, it's just part of growing up. And some people, you're going to gel with some people and you're not going to gel with some people. So, you know, there was a lot, there was a lot of factors there. Um, But their relationship was like, definitely not healthy. Like the you know, I hate you. I hate you. Smiley face emoji, smiley face emoji. (laughs) It was like, it was so cringy. Like one of the text messages, um, was Conrad saying, babe, I'm scared. And she said, you called me babe. Like it was very, like a poor. I think relationships like this when I was younger are why I became the friend in the group that always said, just dump him. I'm like, why are you dealing with this? But then I probably have dealt with shit like that in relationships too. Kayla, you have a shirt that says dump them. I do. And I stand by that. Yeah. Stand by it. So, so Michelle was seeking therapy. 
she, but she definitely was not, she was definitely very isolated in this relationship. Mm-hmm. And I feel like text messages sort of put up a wall. You can't really get to know somebody and everything is very concrete. It's very black and white. You can't tell body language. You can't, you know, give new, you know, you can't tell the nuances of somebody's statements. You know, right. you can't see what their face is doing. You can't, you know, watch their, you know, you can't watch their body language or facial expressions. And also I, people, and we've learned this with the internet and with social media, people say things when they're not in front of somebody that they would never say in real life because they would get hit. Yes, exactly. They would get punched in the face and sometimes rightfully so. Anonymity especially is is great online for that reason. Correct. So Conrad kind of, you know, I probably felt emboldened to behave in a way that he wouldn't necessarily if he saw her in real life, you know, because then he would have a woman in front of her and he wouldn't necessarily in front of him and then he wouldn't necessarily have said the things that he was going to say. Also, I think if they had met in person more times, the relationship would have ended. Uh, yeah, I agree. That's um, why you should not have an online relationship with someone. Oh, solely online. Correct. If you can. I mean, if you live as close as they lived, you know. Right. Or, you know, it shouldn't begin online. If you have a person, you know, that you're together and then you have to go long distance or, you know, pandemic happens. Yes, folks. The vetting process begins when you meet them in person. <laughs> not Correct. a second before. Correct. And then... We fa- and then, you know, a lot of the text messages that Michelle sent to Conrad were like direct quotes from movies or TV shows. Oh, yeah. Uh, particularly Glee. She was obsessed with Leah Michelle. Yep. And now I remember when we were in high school, somebody messaged me once on AIM or AM, whatever, and was like, how do you always have the best quotes at the right times? Because I ha- I always had somebody quote in my away message. Mm-hmm. But like, would al- I always attribute quotes to other people. I'm never I like... <laughs> you never say you're the one that said no. it. Yeah. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what ask what you can do for your country. That was John F. Kennedy. That was... <laughs> <laughs> what is it? You miss You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, Gretzky. Michael Scott. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with quoting people, but don't attribute to it as your own. Or unless it's like a really well-known quote, one small step yeah. for a man, one giant leap for mankind. Everybody knows you didn't say that. Right. Um, so Michelle was, you know, Michelle was quoting Leah Michelle. And then I wrote in my notes, and now Michelle is a lesbian and I'm exhausted. Is she? Not right now. She had a crush on somebody that didn't reciprocate, you know, um, like she had this, she said she had this relationship with a teammate who was female, which is absolutely fine. Right. And the teammate said, nope, we never were in a relationship. So, and I know you're not suggesting this, but you know, since people don't wake up one day and decide they're gay, she, that could have been a lot of the problem that she was experiencing sure. is just like, I'm, I feel like I need to pretend I'm straight and I've seen mm-hmm. only relationships on TV. Correct. So or heterosexual relationships on TV. So this is how I think we're supposed to have them. Or she could be queer and be attracted to more than one gender, which is fine too. True. This is true. We so, don't, yeah, yeah, I mean, we, again, we've never sat down with her, so we don't know. No, we never had, yeah, it's none of our, you know, it's not part of this case. It's, you know, it does attribute uh, Michelle trying to build deep relationships with somebody that she's, that she's met her, you know, right. her sexual, uh, her sexual attraction, sexual preference is neither here nor there. 
Right. Um, it has nothing to do no. with her suggesting someone commit suicide, kill themselves. Um, but it could ha- it could explain kind of her behavior leading up to that point, I think. Correct. Because she felt like she had to hide it, not because she was gay or right. queer. Um, so, so we kind of learned that Conrad had been telling Michelle he was sh- going to kill himself for a long time and not doing it. He would send her a text message. Okay, tonight's the night. I'm killing myself. Talk to you never. And then he would text her the next morning. Good morning, babe. Yeah. And that's a wild ride to be on. No kidding. As someone's it's a wild friend, ride. as someone's partner, uh-huh. it, it's a it's a wild ride to be on. It's not easy. No. And she's still doing this by herself. She's still right. isolated in this. And that's so uh that's so detrimental. Uh and she kept like, you know, saying, you know, he would stop texting her and she was like, oh, my God, he's dead. Conrad, you know, kid. and then he right. would just not answer her and she would go all night thinking he was dead. And then that's like that's that's torture. That's torturing someone. It's very manipulative. That is manipulative behavior. Um, and it could be that that's the depression talking and not Conrad yeah. talking. But oh, absolutely. It's still very damaging. It's not even the. Yeah. So it's not even the illness. It's the behavior. It's you know, cutting off everybody's resources. So he cut off his resources and hers. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, the, and she didn't really, she did not have the capabilities to support him. Who could? Right. Yes. That's a tough, you know, that shouldn't go on to one opinion. Mm -hmm. So, so obviously, so Michelle was arrested and then we get to see, you know, the whole court case, which is a shit show. I feel like televised court cases are the way of the world, but it's like a disaster because then everybody's judge and jury. Everybody's, you know, it's like during the pandemic, everybody was an epidemiologist, you know, during a televised court case, everybody's a lawyer and everybody's a judge and everybody has a law degree. Which I, you know, people try to simplify things because it's easier that way, but you can't simplify something this complicated. And I, and you know, you get the geniuses that said, well, I wouldn't want to date her next. Shut up. Um, (laughs) No one asked you. No one asked you, really, Bob. Um, She doesn't doesn't want to date you anyway. She does not want to date you anyway. So I thought the judge explained this really well. So the judge, you know, and I feel like if you're you're a judge, you're in a no-win situation. The actions by Michelle were reckless when mm-hmm. she, you know, suggested ways that he could kill himself. But depression is too complicated of an illness and too complex of a situation to say that she caused his death. But when he exited the car and she told him to go back in, that is when the crime happened. Yes. And I think we all agree on that. I agree. So she was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. Yes. And I don't know if you get to this in your notes, but I think that there was a lot of conversation about like this being a thought crime almost kind of like, are we going to be policed on everything that we say, everything we think, everything we do, which is always interesting to me um, because it, it does walk a very fragile and potentially dangerous line Mm -hmm. Um, because they they bring up the whole like free speech piece. It came up also in the case. There's a a documentary on HBO about this too, about the quote unquote cannibal cop, the guy who Mm -hmm. is a police officer and he had written down, journaled, posted on a message board, something like that details about killing 
and eating actual people, like people that he had come into contact with as a police officer. He never acted on it. He never committed any sort of violent crime. Um, He was, his wife discovered it and was like, what the fuck? (laughs) But they were kind of like, what do we try him on? Mm -hmm. You, you can't, you can't arrest someone for having a a fantasy just regardless of how disgusting it is. No. Um, And I mean, it's, it gets really interesting in that documentary because they also interview, um, I think they interview a, a psychologist who talks about paraphilias and how dangerous they can be, but that's it's a similar thing it's like what do you do with that and it's i think it's a fine line because we do need to acknowledge that our words have power yes and if our words are accessible and if our words are in the public domain those words can have consequences but what they should be is yet to be determined is it i screwed up i done fucked up i shouldn't have said that and you know, I said that 10 years ago when I have learned from this and here's how I've evolved as a person. Right. Not for nothing, but like, I mean, in the, the, the cop, the cannibal cop case, like, sure, he didn't do anything, but I don't really want him around any citizens. I don't want him to have that kind of power out in public. I don't, you know, same thing if God forbid somebody wanted to hurt a child, I don't want them to be a teacher. No. You know, even though they haven't done anything, I don't want them around kids. No, your job should be what you're good at. So clearly that's not his bag. If his, you know, if his goal or if his, you know, hope in life is to be a cannibal and rip people up, maybe he should be a butcher. I was going to say, I don't even want him at a McDonald's, but I don't, maybe butcher's okay. Butcher's all right. So just like if I, I, you know, if I didn't like the side of blood, I don't think I would have made a very good nurse and I and lousy with numbers. I would not be a very good accountant. It's okay. It's just, you know, but it's different between you're going to cause harm from somebody else. And even if somebody has like a fetish that you don't agree with, it's that's, that's their thing. That's fine. As long as right. their fetish isn't murdering people or something that causes harm to somebody else, or, you know, God forbid a child. Right. That's, you know, and that's where the line is drawn is, you know, did you cause harm to somebody else? Not annoy them, not... Right. Not disturb them. Yeah, you can disturb people. There's not a law against disturbing people, is there? I don't know. Public and decent, whatever. Um, That's very nuanced as well. But I think, you know, to correlate it with this case is like, you know, sure, she didn't actually do anything per se, but her words did cause harm. Her words did cause harm. If she is, he got out of the car and she said, oh, good. No crime. Right. All the other stuff. Or if he had said, I'm sitting in the car, I'm running the generator. And she said, hello, police. You know, police, here's where my boyfriend is right now. He's trying to end his life. That would have been a different story. Even if he had died, Mm -hmm. she wouldn't have committed a crime. If she had said, holy shit, he's in the car and he's going to kill him and he's trying to kill himself, call 911. Then it's in... If he had died, it wouldn't have been her fault. It wouldn't have been, you know, the company's parking lot's fault. It wouldn't have been the EMT's fault. It wouldn't have been the police's fault. It wouldn't have been anybody's fault. He would have committed suicide because he had depression. And everybody tried to stop him. It wouldn't have been his family. It wouldn't have been anybody's fault. And And the thing that really gets me is her own limitations and her own mental illness gave the proof. I always say, if you let people talk long enough, they'll tell you everything that they need to know. 
you need um, to know. Also, therapist trick, if you stay silent long enough, oh, yeah. they will also tell you everything you need to know. That's a nursing trick, too. If you ask somebody how they're doing and they say fine and you just sit there and wait, you're going to get an answer. You're going to get more than mm-hmm. fine because people people bubble out with stuff. And it's true because people are uncomfortable and they want to stop the silence. So if you can sit in that silence, you're golden. Um, Mm -hmm. You also have a career in healthcare. Um, Uh So, so she, you know, she ended up, you know, being her own, her own worst enemy because she had to tell, because she told somebody, Um, you know, not saying that she shouldn't have, you should have concealed it or tried to get away with it. She still did something wrong. Uh, so sentencing happened. The defense asked for 10 to 12 years and Michelle's attorney asked for treatment and probation. The judge. Very different. (laughs) Yeah. So a judge who I did think was, you know, firm and fair, um, as they should be, uh, said he was going to make a decision without emotion which Mm -hmm. he should. That's correct. So she was sentenced to two and a half years in jail, which was suspended after 15 months, which was delayed after her, which was delayed while she appealed, um, which is allowed uh, for the state. So if it went to federal, they're like, nah. So was she um, credited for time served too? Because I thought she was only there for 11 months, but I could be wrong. She was. So I looked up afterwards. She was released after nine months. Um, oh, if okay. my math is correct. And she was uh, times uh, was let out for good behavior. She was not yes. incarcerated. So she was. So the day she found out that her appeal was, you know, she went to court and they said your appeal was denied. She was taken back, taken right away. Oh, okay. So after a year and a half, um, she immediately had to start her sentence, which is fair, um, and was released after nine months, model citizen, out she goes. And I have to <laughs> I have to read this note because it's funny. I wrote, clearly Neckbeard doesn't have a law degree. I think they interviewed somebody outside the courtroom with a Neckbeard that said something stupid. <laughs> Uh, of course, but I mean, it's a case that has to do with a woman. So there's always going to be a neck beard with an opinion. Oh, yep. Yep. Oh, God. Wait till. Yeah. Especially when they do a superhero movie about a woman. Neck beards lose their minds. Oh, I just watched. I was going to send it to you. I just watched this really good analysis of Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad versus Harley Quinn in um, Birds of Prey. Ooh. And- of course, one of the big things when Birds of Prey came out is that all the neckbeards were mad because Harley Quinn was just her own person in that movie. I loved that movie. I um, hated Harley Quinn and Suicide Squad, too. Yeah. And I actually didn't watch Birds of Prey because I didn't want to be irritated for two hours like I was. This is um, no reflection on Marco Robbie. She did it a, did a wonderful oh, yeah. job. This is a reflection on Jared Leto. I don't like him. Um, yes. <laughs> well, they the the video I watched on YouTube was kind of a, a conversation about the male gaze in Suicide Squad and versus it, it not being there. And part of the reason it wasn't there in Birds of Prey was because it was directed by a woman. Oh. A woman of color as well. Yeah, a woman of color. So go. So I need to go watch Birds of Prey is what you're saying. Yes, you do. Yes, it was on HBO. I don't know if it's still there. I'll have to look later. So yeah, it's this is a complicated case. And they said at the end of this, and you know, it's this is sort of PR, but it's true. There's no winners. Like, this is a shitty situation. This is an awful situation. There is still, you know, a young life loss to depression, which is awful you know i'm open about this and i know you are too Uh, struggle with mental illness is so Mm -hmm. tough but you know getting through it and getting the help that you need and working at it is 
is worth it. You know, you think about, you know, your own struggles and how far, you know, how far you've come. I do all the time. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's very rewarding to be on the other side and think like, not only did I make it through that because of my hard work, yeah, but now I have the tools to face this problem if it happens again. It's true. You're like, holy sh-. Yeah, I've like thought of that. Like, holy shit. I'm like, I stuck it out. And that was really mm-hmm. hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My therapist always tells me good job too. Uh, <laughs> it helps. She's like, you're not crying. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the Especially in... You end up normalizing a lot of things when you're depressed too. Yeah, something that else mm. discussed. You're like, oh, everybody feels like this. No, this is not normal. Yeah, yeah, that distorted thinking that comes. Yeah, with it's true. You're like, oh, struggling. I, yeah, it's only because X, Y, and Z, or everybody feels like this. No, 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 no. That's not normal. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it's okay to say that's not normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how I feel is not. You know, oh, I'm just a little blue today. No, well, no. Yeah, and it's good to have that professional objective um, point of view yeah. to be able to to kind of call those moments out for you. Sure, and um, you know, do not fight it alone, and don't fight it with just one person, especially if that person has struggles of their own too. It yeah. doesn't, you know, it it's a multifaceted thing, and it's not a one shot all. You know, if any one thing about my support system was different, it wouldn't be as good. Yeah, family and friends and medication and some sort of spirituality and therapy and and physical and, exercise. Yes, and exercise and rest Sunshine. and sleep and there are so many, you know, and animals and there are so many, you know, healthy, yeah, there's so yes. many pieces to it. A functional job relationship, functional interpersonal relationships, there's so many things that contribute to um maintenance of mental health. So mm-hmm. you know, s- telling one person that you're depressed and not to tell any not tell anybody else is just a disaster. Mhm. so that was yeah, that was a tough one. That was a hard documentary to watch too. That was like really yeah. really sad. Um because there were so many ways that the situation could have been improved upon mm-hmm. and you know, you know, there's obviously nothing we could do about it now. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a random question for you. Oh, perfect. What do you do when you're having a bad day that doesn't involve murdering people? <laughs> um, oh, you, are you trying to ask me? Oh, oh, I, I thought you were referencing the last time that I had a bad day and murdered someone. Um, the, no, just yeah, just in general. I, I, I know, I know what you're referencing. I get, I picking up what you're putting down here. You picking um, up what I'm putting down. What do I do? You know what? I have met a lot of people in my life as a therapist who have bad days, bad weeks, bad months, bad lives, and none of them no. have ever killed someone. No, no, no. Um, nope. T- 2020 was actually 2016 to 2020 was shit. 20, that was shit. It was a shit time in my life. There was no body count. But to truly answer your question, um, my, co- my, my self-care, my coping tools are to talk to a friend I trust. Uh, watch a good show, either a horror movie or a comedy. I know that's quite opposite, but either mm-hmm. one of those can get my mind off of things. I go for a walk in nature. Yep. Um, I might journal a little bit or write creatively, mm-hmm. take a bubble bath. Maybe I'll book a massage if I have a little extra cash. You know, there's a million different things that you can do. One time uh, I was having a really tough week and Victoria and I had a, like a quote unquote Zoom date where we chatted while I cooked and ate dinner, um, which is nice because she's, you know, she's out of state now. 
So, you know, just doing stuff like that for myself. Mm-hmm. Don't have to be aggressive towards people or violent towards people. No. Um, nope. Yeah. At all. What about you? I am like a very, like I do better when I am in motion. So like, you know, journaling isn't really my thing. I love, if I'm in a bad mood, I love to dance. I got to mm-hmm. dance it, like dance it out. Like get the way, you know, it's, yes. get out of your head and into your body. Um, I run when I'm in a bad, you know, when I'm in a bad mood. Um, I also like, I like to watch things, but I watch a freaking kids movie or a kids TV show. Yeah. I don't care how weird it looks like a cartoon because I can't focus for that. You know, if I'm in a bad mood, I can't focus for that long. So those are perfect. So it's like 20 minutes. Oh my God, I'll watch freaking Little Bear or Mr. Rock, something because it's short. Like, and it takes you out of that. You know, you have to take yourself out of that headspace. Mm-hmm. And something else is really good to do if you're in a bad mood or having a bad day is being honest about it. Tell somebody, mm-hmm. be like, I am in such a shit mood right now. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, at least you're I, like getting it just, out. Yeah. Right. Just vent like, about it. Just ignore or just acknowledge that it's happening because when you don't, people are like, what the hell's wrong with them? And then they feed off your juju and they think you're being an asshole for, you know, no particular reason. But then they're like, oh, you're having a bad day. I totally feel that. Hey, do you want to go take 10? You know, even if you're at work, you go to your coworker, be like, man, I'm having a bad day. Or they're like, you know, I, you know, my coworkers and I have said like, hey, you want to go like take a lap around the building or something? I'll mm-hmm. watch your patients or I'll do this for I, you if you want to go clear your head for five minutes. It's also a really good uh, disarming technique I've mm-hmm. I've noticed if you, if somebody's being really irritable with you who isn't normally to be like, hey, what's going on? Are you having a, a rough day today? Is everything yeah, all right? Yeah. Instead of kind of like giving them that energy back. And sometimes they'll tell you, sometimes they won't, but you know, you can follow it up with, Hey, let's talk about it. Or like, I, I get it. I have bad days too, but you, you can't, I can't be your punching bag. No. Or like, or just giving them like the out, like saying like, Hey, mm-hmm. do you want to like talk about like, you know, if you're trying to dialogue with somebody say, it's probably isn't the best time to talk about this. Why don't we do it at another time? And do you yeah. need a couple minutes? Because we're human, you know, we get into a funk or a groove or like, even if somebody says, I'll even say, like, people say, is there anything I can do to help? Just say, like, I'll let you know, but I can't even focus. I can't even figure out what I need right now. I just need to, like, be in my suck for a minute mm-hmm. and I'll get out of it. I swear. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. They just need to go through. Yeah. Just don't lash out at people. That's not fair or not right. Yeah. And it's not so, uh, just not conducive. You're not going to feel any better. I mean, fuck that guy yeah, is really that. all I have to say. No, don't fuck I don't know. that guy. I don't, I don't remember what his name is. I don't give a fuck. No, Flying. I don't even know. I don't even know what his name is. Uh, I I, he looks it. like he looks like an Amish village reject, honestly. Mm-hmm. And when the Amish don't want you, they're usually a pretty. Yeah, they'll they usually take you. They'll usually take you. But if the Amish they'll, are yeah. rejecting you. Yeah. I yeah. always like that when the Mennonites come out and protest, you know, you've done something bad. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, fuck this guy. He's now he's a piece of shit. Piece um, of shit. So please, see, please, yeah. our our Asian American community, our all of our Asian American community, we support you. We love yep. you. You're valuable. We are committed to seeing you and helping you in any way that yes. we can. And to our sex worker friends, sex yes. industry friends, your people too. Your lives have value. Yeah, we, we love should, you. We need, 
We need to legalize the sex industry so that people can get out of dangerous situations. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. You deserve to be seen and heard and talked. And you, you and unionize. Yeah. Well, yeah, there are some places where you you need a union and it's, that's probably one of them. Uh Uh-huh. Sure is. Sure is. So, so to summarize this episode, if you're having a mental health crisis, We'll post some uh, resources in the show notes. If you are having any thoughts of hurting or harm yourself, harming, harming yourself, please call nine one one. If you're having a, if you're struggling with depression, um, but aren't having suicidal ideations, call your healthcare provider. Call your mental health provider. Surround yourself with people that are supportive and love you and want what's best for you. Um, and take care of yourself, uh, body, mind, and soul. If you are having a bad day, don't kill people. Mm-hmm. Not yep. hard to do. Not real. Not hard. Nope. 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 30, 30, um, 30 years. No bodies. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter mm-hmm. at BioPsychPod or on Facebook at BioPsychosocial Podcast. Please leave us a review if you please, because it can help us um, gain some visibility. But if not, then whatever, that's your prerogative. We're not going to love you any less. But thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Take care of yourselves and each other. Be excellent to each other and we love you. All right. Bye. Bye. That just, it just burns my bippy.